Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income, the self-storage podcast where we talk all things self-storage. I'm just kicking right into it. I'm just going in here. Uh, Do it. As always, we got Connor. How's it going, everybody? And we um, are the largest self-storage podcast. And when we're looking at we were going over a lot of the stuff, what our feedback has been, what you guys like to hear about, talk about, um, and we analyze kind of we look at the list the the what you guys are listening to and what ranks the highest and that was really interesting and one of the things that we found that was ranking really high is how to so how to do a specific action um and so when when thinking about this we went back and um i was having a conversation with our inner circle last week and it, it was it was actually a lot on what we're going to talk about today. And that's how to raise capital and structure the deal. This is an extremely important topic because no matter who you are, capital is limited at some point. And when you're dealing in assets that scale up in cost very quickly, you can start small, right? But even small ones can be very expensive. And then to get to normal sized facilities, it's um, millions. And I've seen a lot of people that have turned away, including me, great deals that I thought because I didn't have the capital, I didn't do, which I regret. It's like, I should have just, I should have teamed up with other people. Should have figured it out. Figured it out and got it done. And that's been a lot of our change in our process. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're going through a lot of, you know, changes in investing, work, life, that kind of stuff. And they're, they're looking at this being an op, uh, 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 option to invest in self-storage. Um, and then a lot of people own self-storage, but they're trying to take it to the next level, which if you're an owner trying to get in an operator, this is, you know, this is fundamental in real estate, raising capital, doing deals. Because at the end of the day, you are taking other people's money. We call it OPM. You're doing it through a bank, right? Banks are lending you investors' money. It's, you know, that's what they do. Uh, people put it in the bank account, and um, they don't have to ask to invest it, but that's what they do. So when we look at how to raise capital and how to structure the deals, the first thing I want to say is, before we get into this in the podcast, there is no way we are going to cover every single which way to do a deal. That's not even remotely possible. Well, and I think one of the misconceptions, too, is that all deals are structured the same. I know when I first started looking at real estate and looking at business as a whole, I always would think, well, well, well how, what's the standard for structuring that kind of a deal or this or, the, or that deal or whatever it is? And there are industry standards, so to speak, yeah. for certain things. But again, it is so dynamic and changing with every single little thing and every single asset and every single investor. There's not really a one-size-fits-all No, there's solution. not. You're right. And so, of course, you couldn't cover it all. Exactly. <laughs> and to the dynamic no changing, if you're listening to this in two years, I don't know, maybe things have changed. Because capital requirements in the um, – or capital needs in the economy and asset performance change. So how people feel about asset classes, investing in them, those fluctuate. So at certain times, you need to give a higher yield than normal because they can get it elsewhere, right? So – before we get into into that discussion, that's a lot bigger discussion. I want to talk about it a couple of ways. So, first, let's talk about raising capital before structuring the deal. 
I don't know why, but I was adverse to this early on, which slowed my growth rate. And um, I think it was just the lack of knowledge and understanding that made me adverse to raising capital, which now looking back on my deals and everything we've done, if we had capital in there, we would have made a lot of people a lot of money. And that would have made me very proud. And as I've looked at it, in the United States, we have certain regulations and rules, okay? So to, to, to break it down really simply here, the government lines up things that are called accredited investors, non-accredited investors, accredited investors are outlined by the government of an individual who makes... Um, I, Is it 250,000? I need to get the exact numbers. 250,000, I think a family, 350, or you have a, a investable net worth of a million dollars that doesn't include your primary residence. That is how much you can invest. So do you have a million in stocks that you have access to? Do you have a million in cash? Do you have, yeah, it's it, investable capital. These are called in, accredited investors. And the government looks at these differently as than non-accredited investors. And the history behind it is the government is trying to protect people from losing money, so they set this standard. And what that standard therefore means is that accredited investors have the opportunity to see, learn, and hear about things that the rest of the world does not, legally. Because if a huge amount of alternative assets, which that's what the wealthy invest in, they are not offered to non-accredited investors. So even if you asked about it, whoever has them and is proposing them cannot tell you about them. It's against the law for them to do. They can't market it. They can't you know, do a lot of these things that they want. If you set up your, your, your structure, how it depends on how you're raising capital. Once again, this is very dynamic and I'm not a, an attorney. I'm just trying to hit the overall, so you can understand why there's some avenues to go down and some avenues not to. But in general, because of this makeup or this breakdown, I always had a personal problem with this because to me, it was the government telling people that weren't wealthy that they're dumb. So you can't invest your money in these assets because you don't really know what you're doing and you could risk your money. And then I'm always like, well, then you're just perpetuating a wealth cycle. Because now wealthy get access to all these alternative investments and nobody else does. Now, how you can go about that is by doing partnerships, right, and joint deals and different things. But why this is important is before you get capital, you need to know where you're getting it from, who's going to give you the money, right, their requirements, and the laws associated with it. And the reason why I'm not going to go in depth in the laws is because every single thing is di different. I promise you, we will bring on um, a real estate attorney to talk about this. That'd be great. Uh, be really I don't idea. want to get too much of the weeds because I'm going to have somebody say, that's not correct in this situation. Yeah, we need a massive disclaimer. Yes, right massive dis disclaimer <laughs> right there. So if you're out, though, and you have a storage deal, and you're like, I want to raise capital for it, the things that you need to focus on are, first, the deal, second, the deal, and finally, just end up focusing on the deal. And the reason why I really focus in on this is because good deals will get investors. A lot of people, though, with no track record, they sit, put the egg before the chicken, where they say, give me the money and I'll go find a deal. Nobody's going to do that. That doesn't make sense. Um, especially without a tracker. Especially without a tracker. <laughs> there's exactly. No so there's some people that do the opposite. They raise funds where they outline what they're going to do with the money, and everybody invests into this big fund, and then they have access to it, and they go invest. These people generally have very good track records. They have large resumes, and they have proven repeatable strategies and systems in place. That's why people will give it to you, not based on an individual deal, right? Because they're so confident in the person. Well, like, I mean, it's, it's like investing in a mutual fund or anything else. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So they do large capital raises and people give them money. But for people that can't pull that off, that don't have this huge resume, you're going towards, most of the time, friends and family. And 
what you need to do if you don't have a track record. You want to get a great deal that seems bulletproof. Now, there's certain ways that you can structure deals. So we started up an investment company. It's called Cedar Creek Wealth. And we uh, are now looking to actually do all the things that I said that I, that I didn't do before. We're trying to expand, we're trying to grow, and we're trying to u- utilize our capital better. Um, and so we're actually taking on funds. We have a deal that we're doing right now. And when we constructed this, as I was going through the learning process and I was trying to figure out how you do these deals, the, the first thing you need to realize, I think a standard to do deals is two ways. You either go through a limited liability um, type of structure, or you go just a general partnership structure where you're all equal partners. There's pros and cons to both, which I'll get into. I've done both. So the, the how I'm structuring it today is we have a general partnership. It's called the GP. And then you have limited partners in that, right? So the limited liability company is broken down into those two parts. The general partnership, they are the ones that are doing all of it. They're doing the work. They're doing everything. Limited partners, right? They're, that's the capital that comes in. So in my, uh, in this deal, I am the general partner and a limited partner. We set it up so you have a split in the equity. So I'm going to use simple math here. You have a $10 million deal. You're putting 20% down. The 20% down is the equity. The bank is financing the rest of the $8 million. So the equity portion then is split up between the investors. The general partnership usually takes a split for free. That's their sweat equity in the deal. That's for their knowledge, their everything else like that, putting the deal together, all that kind of stuff. It, it's That's their portion. The limited investors, they don't have risk. So the general partner signs on the bank note. They take the risk. The limited partners don't have to worry about risk. And usually they're given a preferred return. So once again, we're using the 10 million with the 2 million. I need to fund $2 million of it. Okay. I'm going to put in 10% of my money and become a limited partner as well as the general partner. So I put in $200,000. That leaves leftover equity that I need to raise of 1.8 million. Okay. Out of that equity that needs to be raised, um, I need to look at what the investors are getting for that money and what their return will be. So in our deals, how we're constructing it is there is a 70-30 split, right? So for me running the deal, I'm putting my name on the bank, um, everything else. I get that 30% chunk, which is the general partner. That's where the risk and liability and work is all held. The 70% of equity then goes to all the rest of the limited partners or the equity portion, that $2 million piece that needs to be funded. So the money that's going to fund the deal, the 70% get, but they hold no risk and we give them a preferred return. So in order to get investors in, we're going to say, listen, how you want to do it is the limited investor says, I have no risk, um, but also I want a guaranteed return maybe not guaranteed, I want a preferred return. What that means is they get paid before you do. So you're getting paid on the after of what you first divvy out to the limited partners. This is a general structure that I think is probably the most common that people are aware of. And the GP, I see it all over the place. The important thing when you look at this, and I I broke down the structure because it's important to understand the roles of the players in the deal and the value that they bring. So if you're a first-time investor and have no track record and you want a 30% GP, 70% to the limited partners, first of all, they're going to say, hold up here. That's a lot of risk for me because you've never done this, right? Will the bank even give you money, first of all? And second of all, that's a hefty price tag with, associated with that much risk. So generally what I find when people start out is they either take a lower GP or they do a partnership. Okay. I started out the first deals that we did with other people were a partnership. Four of us got together. We funded the deal. We broke down, identified roles and responsibilities. We were all owners. We all signed on the bank. No. Okay. Um, that is a very simplistic way of doing it. So you grab your parents, your friends, everybody, and you say, listen, 
put your money together. We're all going to go in and we're going to buy the storage facility together. I'm going to run it. Now, if that's where you're starting, there's a few things that you need to remember. And when you move in and your business partnerships in these deals, things will go wrong. So the contracts that you have with your partners, right, we, we call these contracts like operating agreements. Your operating agreement, which then outlines what roles and responsibilities everyone plays, okay? So out of the four partners, you may have one that's a developer, one that's a money guy, one that's an operator, whatever. The operating agreement will dictate all of this. But I don't like to call them operating agreements because they're not agreements. They're disagreements. And I've heard this used several times. I didn't invent it, but it's really you're signing a disagreement. Because what it outlines is what happens when you disagree. When that's, something goes wrong. When something goes wrong. That's the whole entire purpose of it. It's if everything goes perfect, nobody cares, right? But what happens when one person wants their money out? What happens when there's fights? What happens when there's bankruptcy? That's what you're trying to figure out and you're all agreeing upon. And that's what you need to work towards. Um, how, does, how is that executed? Where's the risk held? The, the big thing with partnerships that I find that make them fail is the partners together, right? That's why those deals fail. So understanding those agreements and having them worked out are, are very, very, very important. And the more partners you get, the more complex that becomes. So if you are gathering some people's money and you need a lot of people in, you obviously need to talk to an attorney. I don't know how, what we're talking about raising, but I would consolidate people into one representative or group, okay? Which we've done before, our partnership, one person's equity, let's say it's 25%. They use an LLC, right, to protect them when they put it in. But in that LLC, they have multiple owners. So it's not actually just one person, even though only one person represents the group. And so then you, instead of having seven partners, you have three. Yeah, and then they're at, exactly. Then they're, you're, like you said, you're consolidating it, you're streamlining it a lot better so where you have several people under one roof, essentially, so you don't have to identify each individual role. I mean, that's just how you would have to do it. And now most anybody would have to do it with raising a lot of money from a lot of different sources. And just like kind of how you outlined is, is what we're doing. Exactly. And so, you know, when you look at raising capital, first of all, friends, family, however that may be, and putting into the general partnership, it, it's really important to get these agreements, clarification, um, something will go wrong. That's life. So you need to be ready. 100%. And um, you need to all be on the same page and you don't want cooks, too many cooks in the kitchen. That's the beautiful thing about the other side. So the problem is if all partners are signing on the banknote, it's going to be very hard to get somebody to sign on a banknote, but then say, I don't want you to have any say. They're going to go, then I'm not signing on the bank, right? So you need to be, it, it, it's a matter of determining value and value can be brought in on two sides. Value can be knowledge, experience, and um, ability. So, like, you have ability to sign on a bank note. Um, it can be done in sweat equity. So, you're going to work for it. Or it can be done in the form of capital. I'm giving you money. Don't mingle those things. Like, you need to be understand those all have different roles. And, it, and you may not want all those people to have the exact same say. So you really need to get that figured out. It all seems like fun and games, and we're all going to conquer the world. And, oh, yeah, Bobby, I believe in you. And then Bobby ends up being a dip. And uh, now I'm like, Bobby, you just wasted $150,000, <laughs> and that was my life savings. Right. I'm coming right. after you. And, two, also you need to understand that unlike marriage – you know, you got to have a prenup here. You got there has to be a dissolution, right? You you got to when you're going into this with your partners. I look at it like this, and I say, you never know when something's going to go wrong because life happens. I, we had a deal with my partners, and I became totally paralyzed in the middle of the deal. And luckily, I had a great team and great partnership, and we worked right through it. And um, my partners in that deal, we had actually Lance Watkins. He was on the podcast uh, talking about technology. He's, yeah, I can't remember what episode it is. It's, I can't either. 
Just a, it's a few back. It's it, a little ways away, yeah. but definitely go listen to it. Yeah, you need to go listen Great to episode. that. The, the sound quality is horrible because we're sitting in his um, yard, but the information is priceless. And I'm going to do another one with him with a lot better sound quality for you guys. But he was my partner in the deal. He started up a lot of tech companies in storage, and he really jumped in and, and helped out. And so that helped us get through it, right? When you look at the other side and you say, the limited partner structure takes care of a lot of the problems that the partnership does because now you're consolidating responsibility and liability that has value in it, obviously. So for us, right? If, if we do a deal, I'm the GP, I'm signing on the bank and it goes under the other guys are fine. The bank comes after me and I'm running it and they have no say. So, it's very clear. I have the risk, but I have all the say. The limited partners get to come in and they get to participate in the deal, right? Now, if you have track record, you can demand a lot more. You can say, no, I have all the say. I have all this, right? But if you're new, your value isn't as big. And so you have to limit. And most of the time, your partners, even though they're limited partners, they're going to want say. They're going to say, I'm not going to let you refinance, sell, I want to know all of these things, and I need to have a vote in this decision-making process because you don't have a track record. And you got to realize that that's reasonable for them to ask and demand. So understanding the value that you're bringing to the table is extremely important that you're fair and reasonable with other people, and you don't get over your skis. Well, exactly. And in, in, in being reasonable and, and also realistic about those expectations about as far as what is reasonable, especially like what we're talking about here, where you're first starting out, you're not really in tune with what is realistic or expected, you know, from each party in those situations. And I think really the the only thing to really wrap your head around that is is by getting into it and talking to people that have done it. Because it will change. Exactly. It changes deals. I mean, a perfect example of this is, let's say I, I have a friend who does hotel investments. Um, he, he owns hotels and I've always thought it'd be cool to own a hotel because it's a hotel. I know nothing about operating one, nor do I ever want to. (laughs) And, um, I just want to say that I own, own a hotel. And what he does is he goes out to people that are accredited investors. Most of the time they're doctors, dentists, things like that. They each put in $150,000, right? Then they put in the deal. He gets his GP stake, which he gets for free. And then he goes to work. Now, when I look at that, I'm saying I'll get a preferred return, but I don't have nearly as much upside as I do in a storage deal, but I'm fine with that because I bring no value. The only value I'm bringing to him is $150,000 if that's what I was going to put in, like all the dentists, right? But I'm, that's easily replaceable, right? So if he's doing a $5 million round and I'm bringing $150,000 to the table, I have zero say. And if you're investing with other people, you also need to remember that. If you want to keep doing deals and be included and stuff, you just need to remember what you're bringing to the table. And I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, I own a lot of real estate. Yes, I've been in this business stuff before. I'm never going to go to somebody like that and try to start asking questions or dictating how deals are. No, I, I, here, here's my money. That's my contribution. Um, there's other situations that I have. So we're doing a deal right now. Um, Zach Quick, he was on the podcast yeah, another good episode yes that was that's our second most listened to dude it's crazy episode. yeah people love it zach's awesome he's a rock star dude like i gotta tell you he's a, he's a partner in this deal that we're doing that he's brought to me and he owns small facilities right he found a big facility um in fact i i put his story too in the book that's coming out but he found this big one came to me said hey i've got this deal right? It's too big for me to take down. Um, but would you like to come in, work on it? And so he presented an opportunity. He couldn't take it down himself. It was out of his reach, whatever that may have been, right? It was a $6 million deal. And he said, he came to me, I said, well, we can fund it, run it. Um, I can be on the bank note. And then when he came in, because he brought us the deal, he's getting a percentage immediately, right? We're paying him for the deal. But then two, he's like, 
AJ, you live there. I live here close to the asset. So also, if you want to give me some of the GP, I'll run all the day-to-day, right? And he happens to own small facilities. He knows what he's doing. He's there. He brought us the deal. So we're like, yeah, we'll give you, totally we'll give makes you part sense. of the GP. So, but I, and I love this story because his percentage, he's rolling into equity. Then he's getting equity out of um, uh, bringing the deal plus um, sweat equity, right? And then we're putting the deal together. I take the liability. We're running it. We're managing it. But he's going to get whatever that is, 15% in a $6 million deal that he couldn't have ever done. But he didn't say, oh, I can't do this. It's out of touch. No, he just started putting people together. So he gets a portion of that GP. And this is really important because how many times have you had a deal that you're like, I could never do that deal because I can't afford it. And you're like, there's a million people that could. Mm-hmm. Put them together. Get right. the right people on the bus, right? Put them all together. And that's hustle. That's that's putting together. But he's totally reasonable. He didn't try to hide things. Like people get kind of weird when they have like deals or things and they're like, well, I don't want to tell you until you have a commitment. I, I don't play games with that. We didn't sign documents and you know all this stuff. He's like, I got a deal. I'm like, hey, if we like it, we'll do it. What do you want out of the deal? What do we get? And you sit down and you decide value. You attribute that value in the form of equity and what that's worth. And usually it's a downward slide to capital. The deal is way more valuable, right, than the capital because we can go find somebody to fund it. So he, you know, we got a percentage. We have the expertise. Um, those things work great. So understanding value and putting partners around you, whether it's in the form of a group, actual partnerships, or in a limited liability structure. Now, a lot of people will say, well, I can't do limited liability structure um, and be a GP because I can't sign on the bank note. And I always say, that that doesn't mean anything. So um, Brian Murray, um, for those of you don't know. I think he was on the Cashflow to Freedom podcast, but he wrote the. It's I think it's Amazon's top selling book books on apartment um, syndication, syndicating and buying. I'm gonna pull it up right now because I I got his book like a month ago. Which for all of you that listen to our other podcast, Cashflow to Freedom, you know Rock, and he immediately stole it from me because he wanted to read it so bad. Uh, so <laughs> I of haven't even he did. exactly. <laughs> um, but it's called Crushing It in uh, apartments and real estate investing. It's it's an f- amazing book. Whether you're investing in apartments, if you're in real estate, you really need to, to read it. Um, but he does something what's called, um, he KP's deal. So he comes in, and I think it stands for key partner. I don't even actually know what it is. But uh, KP, it's a key partner in the deal. Let's say that we have two young guys that are out there. They got a lot of hustle. And I'm not just saying that. I'm saying that because that's what he told me he's doing. Um, so me and Brian were sitting on a plane as we were going to um, a, net, uh, a networking event together, and I'm picking his brain um, because I needed help when figuring out how to structure. And I have Ashley Wilson and Brian Murray. Everyone, feel free to reach out to them um, and talk to them. They've, they helped me out a lot through, through some of these things. And one of the things that he told me that he does is when he goes on a deal, he has he's like, there's these two guys. They're super sharp. They were going and tackling an apartment. They had this great deal. They had no money, right? They didn't have a great track record, so nobody was going to give them money. And the bank wasn't going to give them money, and investors weren't going to give them money. So they said, Brian, you have an amazing track record. You own over $50 million in real estate yourself, and you've done this. People know who you are. Why don't you do this? What if you come KPR deal, deal meaning you're signing on the debt and we get to put you as our advisor, right? And put you on all the marketing for this deal that we have. And we, you know, we'd want your blessing and obviously he's going to make sure it's a good deal. Um, But, and then we're going to give you whatever it is, 15% of the entire deal. He doesn't do anything. That's awesome. But he gets it done. And these guys are now doing an apartment syndication that they could have never done on their own. Now, let's say their total GP was 30%, and they may have to give it that up to Brian, right? But he's worth it, and they're not bringing that to the table. So that's an amazing deal for them because now they get 15% of a deal that they could have never done by themselves. The reason this is important is there's so many ways to do it, right? I'm looking at KPing on developments, 
for people. They're like, I don't have the cash. I don't have the representation or that. So, you know, after I talk to Brian, I'm looking at doing that with few people too. And so when you understand what, who you need in the deal, right? Once you get the deal, then you can put together the needs. And this is why every deal is different. Each deal has their own needs, requirements, and capital. Then you can put together a plan. You have the right people involved. Then you can go out and ask people for money. Going out and saying, hey, I want to get in self-storage. Would you give me money? That's like, I, what? I don't know. I, you know. I don't even know what you're talking what about. What do you have? So, <laughs> and so you want to, and I hear a lot of complaints is, yeah, but I don't have a reputation, so nobody gives me money. Well, that's true. And they're like, then how do I create a reputation? Well, it's like, how else are you, how else are you to prove yourself if you're not bringing something to the table? Which, yes. uh, again, in a, for example, a deal, like you got to be able to show that you can even identify what a good deal even looks like. Exactly. And how it would function. I mean, that, that alone would, would help to start building that reputation yep. for you and yourself. A perfect example of this is we're looking at two conversions. We're under contract on um, some bankrupt Super Kmarts that we're, we're trying to get across the line. We're trying to get done now. Both of those, I received an email. Never knew the people in my entire life. And I get a lot of these emails. Um, but these two, they came and said, listen, here's the deal. I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, oh, interesting. You know, and they gave me some statistics and everything, how much it cost in the area. Um, those deals, um, you know, I, 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 I get back to everybody that calls or emails. And if I haven't gotten back to you, that's because I'm a space cadet and I forgot. So you just need to call or email again. And I promise I will. I, I want to talk to everybody. But so I emailed back. Um, one was Brian. And... Uh, I said, hey, this looks great. What's, and I asked a few questions that I need an evaluation. He sent back and I asked him specific questions to understand flaws in the deal, which he came back and oh, they were all taken care of. And I immediately said, now this is interesting. So then I said, okay, well, I want to look at this deal. So then I called him if he tells me everything about it, location, it's not under contract. So could he have risked me going and stealing it? Yeah, but he showed me good faith and I show it back. And so I, we end up, I say, hey, man, this is great. Um, get it under contract, and we'll do a deal together. We have not discussed any terms at all, right? He's like, let's do it, man. Let's get it done. He starts going to work. And afterwards, he came back and said, okay, you know, we were putting it under contract stuff. He's like, so what role do I play in here? And both of the guys that I was talking to had very interesting backgrounds that brought us these deals. They both were, they had W-2s, but they were project management for either a building company or something like that. And they said, AJ, you don't live here, but I do. And during the conversion, I can do project management for you. So I brought you the deal. We can convert it and I can be here doing the day-to-day -day project management for you so you can get this deal done and you feel secure about it. Massive value. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, now we're talking, right? Yeah. And so I say, great. So ends up, we say, hey, why don't we talk about terms? I'm like, I'm bringing you in. I'm going to give you a cut of the, J, uh, the general partnership, which he doesn't have to sign on the bank note, right? I still take all the liability. I'm going to run the deal. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to do everything. He's going to go do groundwork, so I'm not flying back and forth. Um, and he brought me the deal, so I also cut him another percentage of that. Now, he's in a deal that is going to be an $8 million deal, right, just to get done with. Right, and we'll be uh, in you know a few years, fifteen plus million dollar deal, based upon the square footage that we have, and he's not going to put any money into it, and he's going to own a large percentage in the deal. Now, this is important to listen to. He brought no money. He didn't even have the deal under contract. Nothing. It was sitting on the market. He brought value to me, my team, and now he's going to have access to a deal that could be worth tens of millions. That is how you do it. Both of these people did. And then the other guy's like, hey, listen, and to give you an example, the other situation, and I'm trying to, I, I hope this makes sense. And I hope you guys appreciate, I, I'm walking through actual deals we're doing right now and showing you how these deals are made up. 
so you can understand how you can get deals, how you can build them out, how you can sp- expand them. The other guy that brought uh, a deal we were on the phone with today, we're working with the real estate agent. Once again, he doesn't have a contract, anything. And I went through and I told him, listen, this is what we need out of the deal. I want you to go back to the owners and see if they'll come back with it. I love the location, everything else like that. I want it. So let's see if we can agree upon price. And me and the gentleman, that was, uh, he's also a project manager in real estate, that was working the deal, he was just quietly sitting on the phone listening as we worked on me and the real estate agent worked to build this out and talked all stats, everything like that. He has no idea, right? Um, his name's Austin. He lives in, lives in Kansas. And um, so Austin, as I was working with him, and he just sat quietly on the deal. And then the agent says, KAG, give me your direct email. I'm going to start working with you. And also, um, I've got eight more projects just like this that are in awesome areas that I think you'd love to either do conversions or build outs or anything like that. And I told the real estate, I'm like, that's amazing. UCC Austin on everything that comes through, he's working with me on these deals. And we have it set up. If we do that, you can do the project management, things like that. So you don't have to have money. You don't have to have experience to get deals. You do have to provide value. Those are all such great examples too, man. Like you can't get more, I don't know if you'd want to call it textbook or not, but it just phenomenal, phenomenal examples. And it's just, it's sweet to actually see it happening just day by day as we're going throughout, you know, going through all this stuff and building out everything and having these people that are listening to the podcast, whatever it is, reaching out to us and and setting all this stuff up and figuring these things out. Because a lot of times, like you're, you're talking about a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are wanting to start and like, how do you get started? Like, this is yeah. exactly how, dude. It, this is exactly how. And the thing about it that you need to realize, everyone is, oh, like, they're probably sitting there going, oh, I don't have anything I can offer. First of all, that is just absolutely bullcrap. Because if you can get a job, you have something to offer. It's called your time. So figure it out, first of all, um, and figure out what people need, okay? And it, once you solve that, you can get in. Once you get in and get deals done, and you do sweat equity, right? You're earning it. Um, you're learning. You're building a resume. I mean, think about, you know, Austin. He's got a W-2. We do a deal like this. The deal we're looking at is just a $10 million uh, buy. We'd have to put in millions more to get on the ground uh, to get it to be operable. Yeah, to convert it. And then it, it will be a $20-plus million deal, um, which he then gets to say, put on his resume, I found it, I, I did it. I was, I was a partner in this deal, right? And <laughs> yeah, it came because of me. Huge. That right there boosts you into a whole nother level. No money. He did not know me from anywhere. So it's not like he was connected in and like, you know, he had a rich uncle or none of those things. Um, he brought value. He didn't expect anything. That's huge. I get, I'll get emails and they'll say, hey, I got this deal, but I want 50% of it. I say, oh, thanks, man. I'm not doing deals right now. I don't even look at the deal. I'm like, all right, we're not having, because you know. two, it also shows the people that you're working with, right? It shows what they're, they're interested first and foremost, me. People that are first and foremost interested in the value that they bring to others have success. It's why we're doing this podcast. It's why we do these things because it comes back. And it does, just like you said. Right, exactly. And the more people you help, the more deals you get. It, it's, you know, get rid of the limited mindset. I had a limited mindset when I started out. Yes, it worked well for me, but I forfeited so much when I should have been doing deals with other people. Well, you are just talking on the phone the other day out here in the office, man, and you were talking about, it, and I, I'm not sure who you were talking to or, or what it was about or any of that stuff, but you had talked about, you know, if you had had this kind of a mindset earlier on, just the drastic difference of where you would be now, you know, just in relation to that compounding effect of having started something sooner versus later, and where, it's like, what you've done over just this past several years has been just 
unbelievably, incredibly successful, and nobody can deny that. But when you start looking at it that way too, like, dude, if I had done everything that I could have, or if I hadn't, like what you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, had I actually pulled some resources together and not just used, you know, our own capital, I mean, oh, I, you can't even imagine what you it would be at at minimum a half a billion in assets yep. under management. I, there's not even a doubt. Because and let me explain this to you why. If you go based upon your resources, it forces you to do things that are limited to access. Some people, that's nothing, right? And then other people, even like even though it was me, I had resources. I I started other businesses. We had capital coming in. So I could save up money and I could get it, but I still had to go to small markets. I had to start really, really small, yeah. right? And so when I look at that, thinking back, I'm like, holy cow, if we would have partnered up, you know, and I'm not regretting it anyway, my path. That's not what I'm right. saying. But I am saying the point being, though, is my, my scope has widened. Exactly. And I yeah. understand more and I understand how to better utilize resources and work uh, and, and it, it does involve a pride. It's a, a lot of times it's a pride issue. Um, first of all, I want to know what's in it for me. Second of all, um, I think I'm better, right? I know what I'm doing. You don't. The moment you start thinking like that, then no one can give you value. So you, you're, you're building walls up to not accept value from other people. Um, you tear those down and your resources become infinite. I mean, literally, there's anything you can do. And that's if you're starting from zero. And when you, when you start thinking like that, the world's your playground. And deals can be made that you would have never even imagined before, right? Once again, you take any of these people that we've done deals with or people done in the deals in the past, apartment buildings, anything else, young guys starting out, right? They could have never in a million years with their resources done these deals. Then all of a sudden, now they're doing multi-million dollar deals. They didn't have the money. They didn't have it. What they did is they figured out value. They brought it to other people. They didn't ask for anything in return. And their value was rewarded. And two, m lots of times, it's disproportionate to what they bring. Right? So um, some of the guys that are coming in, we're giving much more than I would ever need to give someone. But the reason we're doing it is we, I, I want those people to be good partners and to continue right. and deal flow, things like that. So you can be rewarded based upon certain type of value. And think of value as a pyramid, capital being the lowest amount, right? There are certain things in life today that I'm not going to do. I'm just not going to do. I did it all through my 20s. I traveled nonstop. I did sales. I did, you know, I worked three jobs. I'm just not, I'm not going to do that anymore. So if I got a guy that has a deal that I wouldn't get done because I'm not going to travel there all the time and he can solve that problem for me, time is much more valuable to me than my money. So he just figured out how to give me something that was more valuable than giving me the money to put into the deal. And that's how deals are made. It really is. It's a combination of value and then it's breaking down who's doing what, understandings, building it into legal documents and making sure those things are very, very clear. That Two formations, once again, we talked about the partners all getting together. The, the, the upside of partners just kind of getting together to start up an LLC and do stuff, there's less laws, regulations. There's, there's usually less things you need to worry about with those. It, it, things can be simpler. With simplicity, though, causes more unknowns to take shape, right? So if you have this general partnership, when things go bad, it's really hard to understand how it'll work right? The other side is much more structured. It's much more limited to who can do what, who can say, say what. But if something goes bad, everybody understands exactly, right? Oh, AJ, you're left holding the bag. So see you. I lost whatever money I put in, but I'm out. And two, they know I have no say in operations. It's very clear cut. It's dry. The structure may be seem complicated, but the execution is simpler gathering a bunch of guys together or girls together to go buy a facility. You're all putting your money in and, oh, Bob's going to do the locks and Steve's going to do marketing. And, you know, that that may seem simple on the formation because you just all say, 
well, we're, I get X equity, you get X equity, now we have an LLC. Um, but execution is way more complicated and have, can have a lot more problems arising. And it, a lot of times the structures are dictated, once again, on what is needed for the particular deal, as well as banks. So this is a big part of it. If you can't get those things done, find the partners that can and reach out to them. If you're doing multifamily deals right now and you need that guy, call my buddy Brian Murray, check out his book, right? And he's looking for those. There's so many people right now in our society, we have more capital than places to put it. And once you get that, you understand that the value la- uh, the the value pyramid why capital is on the bottom because there's trillions of dollars of it yeah well, there's I mean, not trillions of deals brandon turner's got you know he's out there doing the mobile home parks and everything and he's offering that you know $50,000 finder's fee or whatever it was yeah. it was he is he was advertising and stuff and dude you're you're Sim- totally right simply to find one yeah just like, just to it. say <laughs> i know bob here's this. he's got this deal here's his number want to have a call with him yeah and you get 50 grand it shows value and where that value lies i mean right now i'm hiring salespeople. we're looking at hiring someone that's very familiar with sec codes capital raising and marketing and communication of investments, right? So we've got to hire those people and that capital that we're going to put into them. I mean, we're not, you know, for me in the Cedar Creek wealth as we're starting up, that's just a loss. I'm just losing to pay for their, that time and, and intelligence and knowledge and things. I, I'm just going to pay that. And as we grow, I'll eventually make it back, right? But that could not be a better use of my time. Some people say, I don't want to hire those people because I want to, I, I want to have that money to put in deals. But that doesn't, you're, you're trading a lower value thing and that's, you're going to get that in return. You're going to get lower value deals. So, um, and less scalability, less scalability. You can't rise from it. You can't grow. Um, you know, honestly too, I got to take a break here before we finish it up because we have our sponsors. We have two of them which we got to talk about because this is really important. A lot of our podcasts, we, we're, we're talking about doing deals, putting deals together, networking, finding the opportunities, and then executing on the opportunities. These partners that I use are our sponsors, right? I use Janus to help us on the technology side with their no-key product. Um, they do metal fabrication, um, we work extremely close with them. They are the biggest in the industry. They have been pioneering this technology. Um, that brings tremendous value to us. Um, you can go to their site. They even have our case study of our facilities on there. But email us to us. We'll put links in the show notes on Janus and this keyless entry system. You don't need to build a new storage facility now to do it. You used to, but you can actually have it battery operated all done off your phone. You can automate a storage facility. Yep, which we've done just we've done. recently on two of our facilities. Two other facilities. Yep. Game changer. It's a game changer in the industry. Talk about a market separator if you're in a marketplace that For no one has sure. that. So that's, first of all, our first sponsor, Janice. Two, you guys email or call us. I can get you the right people to talk to. Um, the second sponsor that I have, and you should be talking to these people whether you have a storage facility or not, because this is how you learn. We didn't go by and just start doing the Janus product. We've been working with them for a long time. We understood the value and that came to be, you need to be reaching out to these people. The second is store local. Once again, when we got started in the industry, we knew we needed more people. We knew we needed more help. Store local is a collaborative of storage. It's a co-op and all these uh, storage owners, independent, not REITs, right? Not, Not the big REITs, get together and we get scale. And so when you're out there competing with, you know, billion dollar REITs and everything, you need help and you need scale. And Store Local provides that to us through everything, not just through information, but credit card processing, buying locks, discounts, all sorts of stuff, including technology that we can buy cheaper and we have access to everything from, I mean, this is, the who's who of self-storage in there. It's, it's, it's been a game changer for us, and we hold a lot of our success to them. 
So those are two people that we do. And when I have deals, I'm calling these people and I'm asking for help. So you reach out to them. They'd love to hear from you guys. Once again, you have Janice and Store Local. Store Local is a co-op of members of independent owners. And uh, yeah, so check them out. They're our sponsors because they're our partners. That's why. Now, all right. So to wrap this up, we well, I want to hit on a couple things. First of all, the partnerships and how they're structured, focus less on what you can get, more on what you can give. Don't uh, go to people that are more savvy than you, that can get things done, and identify what you need to get deals done. Um, and then go look for people that can help you uh, uh, get these things. The best way to do it and to provide value is, once again, to do the legwork, to find deals that other people can't see. That model is amazing because you're bringing something that they absolutely must have. They need deals to do business. And those are hard to source on mass, right? Um, the amount of money that we're going to put in the next year to sourcing deals is crazy. And the reason why we have to do that is because it's not easily accessible. So when somebody brings it, it's a lot of value. Contracts are disagreements. They're not operating agreements. They're disagreements. It spells out how the marriage is going to break up. It, it spells out who's responsible. And it needs to be extremely clear. And you need to have a very uncomfortable conversation about bankruptcy and parting ways and when you hate each other and what that'll look like. And the time to have that discussion is not when it's happening. Because then the discussions don't go good. Then it's just yelling, suing, and everything else. You have it. Way worse. Way worse. One of the things that I'm putting in all my agreements, which are standard, standardized is mediators. So we have to work it through a mediator, different things like that. But the point being is you don't need capital. You need to figure out what value you can bring and take it to others. And you're going to get deals done. And two, then you can fund these deals, right? Capital, you can find, you can call, you can talk to. If you, were, if you have a deal, the capital will come. If you have the ability to execute on the deal, the capital will come. So funding it is more finding the people that are looking for your product type, that are comfortable with what you're doing, and will invest in that structure. That's really what you're looking for, right? There's certain people that look for certain things and want certain things. You can provide it. They'll invest. Um, but you can't do that until you've identified those things. Exactly. Exactly. Dude, all great examples, all great topics, man. This is going to be a super popular podcast episode, I have no doubt. But uh, as we have been, we still, like AJ's been talking about, send us your emails, send us your questions, your suggestions. Uh, leave us a review. If you guys really enjoyed uh, this podcast, what we talk about, the value we provide, uh, we just take time out of our days to sit down and uh, – get this stuff out there for you guys. And uh, if you enjoy it, if you appreciate it, leave us a review. And uh, if you take a screenshot of that review, email it over to us at uh, selfstorageincome.com. Uh, we can actually set up a, uh, we've been doing a 15-minute phone call. call. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we've been setting those up like crazy. So go ahead and do that and love to talk to you guys. And if uh, just like we're talking about here, if you guys are finding deals or whatever, happy to talk to you guys. Get out there and make it happen, everybody. We appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks.